0: Sal Berry. Every time he twitches his nose, there's 40 people
1: tweeting about it. And Tim Parrish. And then everybody points at him and like he gets run out of the building.
0: This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 23-24 Upper Deck Series 1 hockey cards. Mercifully, the Upper Deck Series 1, Series 2, and Extended Series cards actually come out in the season that they're from, which is kind of a refreshing change of pace considering that we're still getting 22-23 product and... I think the cup is still MIA from like a year or two ago. We'll talk about a few other things, including uh, some of the stuff that is going on in the NHL and some of the stuff that is going on in the world of hockey collecting. Tim, how you been? It feel like it's been forever.
1: You know, I've been. There's a certain, um, I don't know what you call the right word, a certain uh, thing in the air that is hockey season. Yeah, so, it's so nice. All, thing, all things are good
0: now. Oh, you know, I wanted to ask you, I'll bring this up. The NHL did this thing called Frozen Frenzy. And the first time I heard about that, I thought they were like selling a Red Zone package. Because they were like, well, it's going to be like Red Zone, but for hockey. And I'm like, okay, so you pay for this? But then you're like, no, 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 it's it's just a one-day thing. And I'm like, okay. And you're like, and it's on a Tuesday. And I'm like, what? And I guess what the NHL did was they started games 15 minutes apart. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to watch this. But then a couple of my former hockey teammates don't listen to this podcast. So I'm not going to mention them by name because they don't listen. So they won't know. But they were like, hey, we want to take you to a game because you're the reason why we're all friends. Because I captained a low-level hockey team in like a D league. And we had like a draft and I just basically drafted people I knew from my hockey lessons. And I'm just like, Oh, that guy's nice. I want him on my team. That guy's cool. I want him on my team. Yeah, that guy's halfway decent. But, you know, I basically built like a nice team. And a lot of these guys are still friends 10 years later. So they're like, Hey, you were our team captain. And we were just talking about, you know, how we're still friends and you know, so we want to take you to the Hawks Bruins game, and one of the guys is a Bruins fan, of course. So he gave him shit about that, and then he gave us shit because you know they shut out the Blackhawks.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say that was the good game to go to since they actually won
0: the the Bruins.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, it was a Hawks. Game. We were at United Center. It was it was in Chicago, but you know what? It was a it was a good shutout. I mean, Swayman got a shutout. Connor Bedard got the first ever goal of his career that was recalled because his teammate was offside. My friend Danny was at home watching the game and he texted me and he's like, dude, this ESPN coverage is hilarious because every time they interview a Bruins player, they're like, what is it like to play against Connor Bedard? I mean, holy moly, can, can you, like, not roll your eyes at that question? Because it's like, you know, how does it feel to play against this kid who has, like, five games of NHL experience? And, yes, he's highly touted, but still. So I, I read that to my friends at the game, and they're cracking up, like... I, I don't know if you watched that Hawks game or if you weren't just watching the 15-minute intervals of the other games or whatever.
1: I flipped on the frenzy. First of all, it's on ESPN+. Plus, So...
0: Okay, so right there, that that's a problem.
1: The other ESPN channels were we're actually showing, at least one of them was showing a game, but yeah. And so it's on ESPN Plus, so obviously it's locked behind a paywall. So you either have to subscribe to ESPN Plus or subscribe to the Disney Plus package where you get the ESPN Plus. Which I will say this for a hockey fan, it's great to have. I would argue that it might even be better than Center Ice, and it's a lot cheaper. But whatever. Anyway. I knew it wasn't what you thought it was being a channel that you could subscribe to. Mm-hmm. I knew it was a one-off. I was skeptical because I've watched red zone since the inception. That's what we do on Sundays when the Steelers aren't on TV as we watch red zone mm-hmm. myself and my kids. And it's fun. It's kind of exciting. They bounce around. It's game to game to game, but here's the defining difference in football you have game pauses in hockey. You do not let me repeat in football. You have game pauses. So you hike the ball, you run a play. There's a pause between that point and the time they run the next play. So it's easy for a producer or whoever's at the controls to flip to the next game. And while they're watching the guys line up and get everything ready for the next snap, run a play on this game and then flip back to this one. And you can flip back and forth and you don't really miss any of the game action because of the pauses in between. And let's not forget it's the NFL. So they throw a flag on every other play. So there's always delays. Hockey's action. You drop the puck. It's action. It's action, 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 action. And even when they do blow a whistle and blow a play dead, it's blow the whistle, grab the puck, move it over to the face up, drop the puck. And it's back going again. There's really no pause. So to be able to whip around, like the whole point of this is, and go from game to game to game to game, you're going to miss a ton of what's going on. Now, they touted this whole thing as you're going to see every goal and every penalty and every fight and every crazy save. Yeah, but you're going to see them on highlights. Because unless they happen to roll into a game live and show a couple seconds of it, and something happens that's purely coincidence because there's no way they could do it without being pre-taped. So really all you're going to be seeing is highlights. Oh, we were watching this game. And while that happened over in this game, you know, so-and-so scored the goal of the year and then you're watching it on highlights. So there's really no difference between that and watching like NHL tonight on NHL network where they sit there in studio and they talk and talk and they're like, okay, we're going to send you to whatever and then they show you like a couple minutes of one game and then they flip to another game then they go back to the studio and they talk and talk. Look, I like Weeksy. I've made no bones about it. I like Kevin Weeks. I think he's a great as an analyst. He's great in studio. He's great on a broadcast. I like him. And I don't mind John Bootygrass. But that's a lot to do for hockey. I think it needs a lot of tweaking. I think it has it has legs. Like it certainly has legs. Especially for the casual hockey fan, just having all of that going on all at the same time, I think that's great. But for a hockey fan that like likes to watch the fundamental parts of the hockey game, it's a little, it's a little difficult. It, it was a little difficult. But I get I it. I know what they're doing.
0: This is how I would do it. If I was going to do this sort of thing. Now, this is me just thinking out loud, and there's probably a lot of flaws in this. But the first thing I would do is I'd stretch it over a 12-hour span. Put it on a Saturday or put it on that Friday after Thanksgiving. That's when I just try to watch non-stop hockey, usually NBC. When they were doing hockey, they would do the... uh game at like noon, the day after Thanksgiving. And I love that. Uh, what did they call that? The Black Friday grudge match. And it was always like the Bruins and the Rangers. I mean, something you could get excited about or the Penguins and the Capitals. I mean, just a game you can really get into. Um, But what I would do is you pick a day that's like a weekend so that you can have a game that starts at like, say, noon or even 11 Eastern, right? You know, so I guess that'd be 10, 9, 8. I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking out loud. Unless you live in, like, central or mountain time, you're pretty much boned. Some of the games are going to be too early. Some of the games are going to be too late. I mean, a couple episodes ago when Clemente was on, I was asking him, what do you do when the Rangers play the Kings in L.A.? He's like, I don't even watch the game. It just, it even just starts too late for us, you know? I mean, but have a first game start at, like, 11 a.m., and then just every half an hour start a game. You know what I mean? Like, space them out every half an hour. That's one idea. Although, I guess you still kind of have the same problem. Yeah, still space them out a half an hour, but then maybe you do this. You're watching like a feed, so maybe for like the first 15 minutes to a half an hour, you know, they might say, this game is underway, and you could flip over to ESPN Plus if you want to watch this game but we're going to tell you what's coming up, and we're going to do this. And then once there's enough stuff, like, in the queue, then they could start showing the highlights. And it'd just be like, boom, highlight, boom, highlight. So I guess that's like, I guess, watching, like you said, NHL tonight. Maybe yeah. it's not as exciting because you're watching something that happened 30 seconds ago or maybe 30 minutes ago. I don't know. And then I guess that would be a 12-hour clip show. So maybe that's not very exciting either. I well, just like it, hockey. Noon to midnight hockey on a weekend day for me is just amazing
1: and certainly i can see that for people that have nothing else to do
0: (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm sorry i don't have dogs and i don't have kids
1: i don't have dogs either
0: no but you have kids
1: i have a cat but she don't care about nobody no cats don't care and here's the thing again i don't hate the thing i don't think logistically for a casual hockey fan it was cool for a diehard hockey fan, I don't think the logistics of how they set it up worked out the way it could have. Mm-hmm. Just for that simple fact that you can't make it like red zone because it's not the same sport. And like the stagger starts, I like the stagger starts. That every 15 minutes, whether you do every 15 minutes, every half hour, whatever. I don't that that to me, obviously that's the thing to do. You have to do some type of staggered start so you get some semblance To where you can hit the different parts of the games. And there would be games going on during intermission times. You know, when that's the one thing that happens during red zone for football is. So let's say, for instance, you're talking about today, right? There's eight games at noon. No, there's nine games at noon. Sorry. So there's 18 teams playing at noon on a Sunday. So all of them kick off at the same exact time. So they open the show with they they'll have like, if there's eight games going on, they'll have, they call it the Octobox. Mm-hmm. And your screen will be eight screens and it'll have eight games all on at the screen at the same time. And so they just stagger them. Here's this kickoff, here's this kickoff, here's this kickoff, so on and so on. And then they just bounce around between each game. But the whole thing is it's red zone. So the point was, we're going to show you all of the drives once they hit the red zone, which for those that don't know football, When you're driving down the field and you get into the opponent's end of the the field to score, that's pretty much the 20-yard line to the end zone. That's the red zone. So that was the whole idea. Problem is, when the games all start, nobody's in the red zone. So you have to pick and choose which ones you're going to do. So they'll show like the highlight potential games with like the juggernaut-type teams and stuff like that, or the teams that have the superstars in it and stuff like that. And then they just continue to bounce around. From that point but i guess my point is there's 18 teams going all at once and they can stagger them out but if they all kick off at noon they're all going to pretty much hit halftime right about the same time and so what do you do there's no games going on so they come back in studio and they go through highlights and they talk about stuff and everything else and that's what they do because the one key thing about red zone is there's no commercials none And when the broadcasts try to go to commercials, they instantly flip it to another game, or at least try to. We always catch them every once in a while. They show Mm -hmm. a little snippet of a commercial. ESPN, though, even though it was behind a paywall, still did commercials. So they had to take commercial breaks. They had to pay for the show, you know, sponsors, that whole thing. I don't know. I think there's a way they can tweak it. You're right. Maybe a different staggered start time, something. There's certainly a way that they can do it. It has potential. I don't want them to kill it. I want them to tweak it. And we're going to get another one, I think, in January. Because I think this happens again in either January or February.
0: All right. Well, that was some good insight there. So I want to talk about the NHL changing its mind and then changing its mind again. The NHL can't figure this out. So the NHL first said, okay, no no pride tape on the hockey sticks. no." No commemorating tape that commemorates anything, I guess, right? Like no camouflage tape on Soldier Appreciation Day or whatever. No Pride tape on LGBTQA Pride Month or whatever. And then 72 hours later, less than 72 hours later, they reverse their ban on the Pride tape. The whole thing is just... I'm going to choose my words carefully here because I don't want to get canceled, especially for being misinterpreted here. The NHL, I don't want to say they can't win on this, but they're so indecisive it's become comical. They can't you know, get
1: out of their own way. Let's put right. it that way. They well, never first can.
0: Of, first of all, when we talked about Ivan Provorov, and we agreed that there was more discussion – Talking about the one player who didn't want to participate than the other players who did, right? Like they were making Correct. a bigger deal about that. And that's a detriment to the thing, right? Because it's like, oh, let's focus all this attention on the one person who chose not to participate on us. What does this mean? Does this mean you hate gays? Does it mean, you know? And it's just like they could have just ignored that and the whole thing would have been fine, but they had to make a big deal about that. Why? Because sports media has to make a big deal about that. I mean, look at how they're making a big deal about everything that. Connor Bedard does every time he twitches his nose, there's eight cameras covering it and there's 40 people tweeting about it and there's post game coverage of it. Right. And it's like so sports have just gotten so all consuming about stuff that 30 years ago wouldn't have even been a blip on the radar. I mean, you remember how hard it was to find information about hockey and you grew up in a hockey town. I grew up in Chicago, which was not a hockey town for reasons I've explained a million times over. but
1: um, oh, we've talked about it many times.
0: Yeah, right. So so the NHL, first they say, no pride tape. And then Coyote's defenseman, Travis Dermont puts on the pride tape for warm-up. And then the NHL's like, well, okay, well, I guess we're going to do pride tape then, because one player did it. And so now we're going to say, yeah, you could do it if you want to. And I'm just going to offer this one parallel, and then I'd love to know what you think, but I know you've seen The Simpsons. The Simpsons always has a great Halloween episode every year. There was one back in 96. This is still one of my favorites. It was with um, Kang and Kodos, the space mutants. And they infiltrate Earth and they're masquerading as Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. And, you know, they're running for president. And so the one playing Bob Dole, this is 96 or this is like right up to the 96 election, he comes out and he's giving a speech and he comes out and he goes up to the microphone and he puts up his arms and he goes abortions for all and everybody starts booing and then he goes abortions for none and then everybody starts booing and then he gets this puzzled look on his face and then he goes abortions for some but not for others. And everybody starts booing and throwing things at the stage. And then he's saying to the other one, he's like, I can't figure these humans out, right? And that's what this feels like. It's like, we're going to put pride tape on our sticks to show that we support this community. And it's like, boo, you shouldn't make players do that. You're horrible. And then it's like, okay, we're not going to have players do that. Boo, you're horrible. You don't support our gay friends. And it's like, um... What do we do here? Right. So that's kind of just how I feel about the whole thing. Right. Like the NHL that's, can't win, but they're also kind of bumbling in the process. It's a great
1: comparison.
0: Thank you. That's Thank you. Really.
1: That's a really, really good comparison. What
0: the Simpsons reference?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it is. It doesn't matter what the NHL does. They're going to be wrong to some people. They're going to do the wrong thing because there's always a wrong thing. And that's the problem. We live in a world where everybody has to choose a side. You're not allowed to be in the middle. You're not allowed to not have an opinion. You have to have an opinion. You're either with the one side or you're with the other side. I know. And you right? can't like you can't sit in the middle and have things that you agree with both sides. And you never will be from this point forward because that's just that's what we've created. We've created this giant monster. So here we are with something. St- I'm sorry, I'm just gonna say the word. Something stupid like tape on a freaking stick who cares i understand it means something i understand it's in support of a social cause i get it i understand that so who cares put black tape put rainbow tape put silver tape put i don't care what you do It, it doesn't matter to me like that is insignificant it's significant to the people doing it so let them do it if it makes them feel better and it supports everything that they believe in and it helps people out somewhere and it gets somebody else interested in hockey because they saw somebody with pride tape on their stick. Great. I'm all for that. I'm also, I'm not against it. I'm all for it, but I don't know that I'm for it for the reasons that I'm for it. I'm for it because to me, it doesn't matter. Right. Be what you want, do what you want. I don't care because it doesn't, affect me. You're allowed to live your life. You're allowed to do what you want. You're allowed to be who you want to be because that's a whole part about free will and you have free will and you can do that. Yeah. Not everybody is like that. Not everybody's like me. Some people are going to jump out and be like, Oh no, you can't do that. Oh, it's horrible. I'm not like that. So in my opinion, people should be able to do what they want. I mean, honestly, when they got rid of the, the, we're not going to do organized Things that are going to be sponsored necessarily by the team, like everybody wear a pride jersey, everybody wear this jersey supporting military, everybody wearing jersey supporting the police, everybody wear jerseys supporting whatever underwater basket weaving conventions. I don't whatever the cause is when they decided we're not going to do that. And then they went further and like, oh, well, you can't use pride tape and you can't do this and you can't do that. And it's like, come on. Now you're mitigating like what color underwear people can wear and all of this kind of stuff. And, and I understand you're a business and your employees have to follow the rules of the business. I get it. But I... why make policies that are contrary to normal human behavior and then expect there not to be problems? Like why? It's dumb. It's silly. So the fact that they even had to ban this in the first place, only to then turn around and backtrack, it makes them look silly. They should have left it alone. They should have never said anything in the first place because tape doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. It doesn't hurt anybody's emotions. It's just tape. It's tape on a stick. It represents something to the person wearing it, and it might represent something to a person that may see it. But to everybody else that has no connection to it, why do you care?
0: And so I mentioned earlier that I played beer league hockey and, you know, my teammates and I, my former teammates and I went out to uh, a, a Blackhawks game together. And I'm reminded of when I was playing, sometimes I'd be playing in two or three different leagues. And I remember there was this one opponent that I had. And this guy would always burn me. He was a good skater. I always played defense. He always played offense. We'd run into each other in different leagues, you know, I'd be like, oh, crap, this guy's on that team too. All right, I got to defend against him tonight. And, you know, we knew each other's names because we'd run into each other in like two or three different leagues, and he had pink tape on his stick. And in my naivety, I thought it was just because he was a hot dog, not realizing that the pink tape meant like cancer awareness or breast cancer awareness. And then I found out that actually it was his way of honoring his mother who had, I don't know if she passed away. I don't remember if she passed away or if she had cancer for him, it was about cancer awareness. You know, it wasn't like he had pink tape on his stick because he was trying to stand out or be different. Like remember how everybody made a big deal about Alex Ovechkin with the yellow skate laces and the um, tinted visor. Like, oh, he's a hot dog, right? Like, so, you know, and I thought about that. And I go, wow, that was very sweet of him to do that, you know, with the pink tape. So I think that, like, just little symbolism like that. Like, even you said it matters to the person who is using the stick or wearing the jersey, if they choose to. And, you know, one thing I'll say is that the NHL did something kind of interesting this year when I basically highlighted all the best game night giveaways going on throughout the NHL this year, I noticed that a lot of teams have started doing these pride night type things, but it was like, if you buy a special ticket, then you get the pride night Jersey or you get like the t-shirt or whatever. So it wasn't just like, hey, welcome to tonight's game. Here's your Pride Night t-shirt because, you know, they're giving out, what, 18,000 t-shirts and maybe half of the people don't even necessarily want it. And I'm just kind of giving a vague example here. I don't have an example off the top of my head. The only one I really remember is that the Blackhawks did this, like they have like a Jewish heritage night and they have like a Greek heritage night and they have like these different heritage nights where it's nice, but you might look and say, well, it's Greek heritage and I'm not Greek and. That's nice that they're honoring this, but I really don't want the Greek heritage Blackhawks hat. That's like a Greek flag with a Blackhawk logo on it or whatever. And so it's nice that they're saying, hey, if you want this thing, you buy this ticket and you get the special thing as opposed to like everybody gets the special thing. And I know giveaways are expensive, but I don't know. I just I just thought that so was when everybody's
1: special, nobody's special. Right?
0: Kind of, but everybody is special.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't buy and, in the participation trophy thing.
0: Ah, uh, I don't think it's that though. I don't but, think it's but
1: that. But you even just said it. You go to a you go to a game, right? You just go to a game. You didn't know it was supposed to be Pride Night, right? Maybe you're just not into that, right? Right. You show up there and like, "Here, here's your rainbow jersey." "I don't want that." And the low-level person that's just handing these out at the door is like, well, "What do you mean you don't want it?" You have to take it. Everybody takes one. And it's like now all of a sudden people around here are like, hey, that guy doesn't want to take a jersey. And then everybody points at him and like he gets run out of the building. So on paper, this is a good idea. You want the pride jersey? Buy that ticket. You don't want the pride jersey? Buy this ticket. But then you go to the, okay, so are we going to set a dividing line now? And everybody somehow, because of the algorithm, everybody with the pride ticket is all on The left lower bowl area, and everybody uh, with the other chick is on the right lower bowl. So now we've segregated the crowd. So when the cameras hit, it shows that the whole side is all rainbows. (laughs) And everybody that doesn't have the rainbow is somehow on the other side. No, I don't think that'll happen, but it could. You never know. I'm just saying, I think banning it is bad. And forcing everybody to do it is also bad. Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. If you're going to do a support, a community night, great, do it. Because when the NHL took this away and basically said, hey, you know what? Some people complained, we're not going to do any of it. When that became like the hot button issue, and then what did we have last year? Like half a dozen players in the entire league? like made a stink about it in pregame warmups seven Seven? Seven.
0: i looked it up this morning it was seven seven.
1: so seven that's one percent
0: three three of them were stall brothers so i mean or it was either six or seven and half of them were stalls so so if there were
1: if there were seven and there's 700 players in the league so one percent we had one percent of the players complain about this so if 99 percent of my staff is all for it. And 1% is it. I'm sorry. But that 1%, sorry guys, you lose. So voice your concern, walk in, do whatever. This is what they're going to do. If you don't want to do it, great. They're going to do it. Fine. Whatever. But instead, nope, nobody can do it now because seven people complained. And so we're getting rid of the military appreciation and <laughs> hockey fights, cancer's gone. and, Black girl hockey's gone, because I know they do that in Pittsburgh all the time. So all this stuff is gone. We're not going to do any of it. And then everybody, or all the teams, I should say, they were like, uh, what? This was really good for our community. It brought people to the rink. It exposed hockey. It got people interested in our team and blah, blah, blah. Now you're saying we can't do this? It's just it's just silly. That's why we started this conversation, and I said, the NHL could never get out of its own way, ever. It's always late to the party and it can never get out of its own way. And I don't understand why. I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. It's like, it's not broken. Leave it alone. Right. Just leave it alone.
0: Right. Okay, so speaking of not broken, I want to change the subject now to the uh, NHL kicking around the idea of not doing an in-person draft next year. So from what I... I don't say I understand, but from, so since 1963, well, that's when they started the draft, but uh, let me think about this now. Now, obviously when there was COVID, they didn't do an in-person draft, but basically you have all the teams get together in one location, you have all the draft prospects get together in one location, you have the draft. I went to the draft when it was at uh, the United Center in Chicago. It was an interesting experience to go to, and what they want to do now is, I guess what they want to do is they want to have all the teams stay home, and then they want to have, I guess, the prospects go to a central location so that when they get drafted, they could be interviewed and stuff like that. The complaint is that the teams have to basically fly all their personnel to one location, and then they have to fly back. It's a big expense. And so that's one complaint about it. And I say too and bad. I think it's fine the way it is. I think it's, it was kind of amusing when there was COVID. Not that anything was amusing about a pandemic that killed many people, but what was amusing when like everybody was on a Zoom call and remember when um, the youngest Hughes brother was drafted and didn't his brother like surprise him with the jersey or something or was well, it was-
1: um- all of the Hughes, they were like all sitting on the couch together.
0: That was it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And yes. that
1: was when Luke got drafted. Right,
0: right, right. That's it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you kind of do funny things like that when the situation, you know, is like that. But I think the way the draft is right now, it's great. I mean, you have all the teams together. It's kind of like a who's who of hockey. I mean, if I was a player getting drafted, I would want to shake the hand of the person who was drafting me and, like, be so excited to put on that jersey and stuff and then, you know, get all the interviews and stuff like that. I mean, you know, that even happens with the later draft picks. I mean, if you watch the second day of the draft, they have a lot of time to kill, so they'll talk to people. And and I think that they're saying, oh, well, it's expensive to fly all our people. And, you know, I mean, if you're a scout, this is, like, the one thing you get to look forward to, right? This is your... I don't say your vacation, but this is like this is like your business trip. I think that you would look forward to, like after you're scouting in Europe for like ten months, and and it's like okay, now you're going to fly to Nashville where we're going to have the draft, and you know you're going to. I don't know. It just
1: well, and that's exactly that's exactly it. You had so many members of team staff that didn't normally get to participate in such things actually get to go and do stuff. Like you said, scouts are off somewhere. You know, most of the time, if you're a U.S. team, you have scouts up in Canada all the time, you have scouts in Europe and they're like gone. You never see some of these guys you never see. You're always communicating with them over the phone, via email, Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. Zoom, whatnot. You never get to see them. So it's one chance for everybody to kind of get together. But I don't know. Here's the crazy part. Like, I looked at this and I was like, okay, no one's going to vote for this, right? Everybody voted for it. It was like a unanimous vote. So that's crazy. Like, so none of the teams, like none of them, essentially wanted to have in person drafts. And I heard a couple GMs talking about it on NHL radio. And one of the things that they mentioned is every time they have these, they're always trying to find innovative ways to communicate with each other at close range. Because the problem is they do the draft floor, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually in an arena where you have the floor area, whether it's a hockey rink or basketball court or whatever would normally be down on the floor of that arena. You rope the whole section off, you build the stage, and then all of that floor area are all the tables for the staff of all the teams. And you look out over it and it's like, here's the Canucks table. And about 18 inches away, there's the Oilers table. And about 18 inches from there is the Flames table. And about 18 inches from there is the Ducks table. And so it's like you're sitting around the table trying to make a decision on who you're going to draft. And you're going through your strategy and you're looking at, okay, well, if we don't take this player here, but we're still interested in him because we want this player instead, are the Ducks going to take this guy? Meanwhile, the guy from the Ducks is just over your shoulder and heard exactly what you just said. And so they're scrambling around going, where is this guy? Can we steal it from him? You know, right. can we force them into a position to make a trade, this that and the other. So, the close contact, I never thought of it that way, but I'm like, it's kind of interesting. And they're always like with the phones and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, what? The draft's been on TV since like 1984, I think. They've been doing it this way. And so, it's had that same format. And has it gotten a little stale? Maybe. Us hockey people, we like things to be the same. We don't like change. We fear change. But I could see them making this a bigger event because it becomes decentralized, because all of the expenses could go into the other things and mm-hmm. like the whole overblown production type stuff that they do with the NFL or the NBA where they're decentralized. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I think the current way works. I think it's fun. I like seeing... For some reason, I like seeing 75 people go up on stage all at once when one person says the Chicago Blackhawks would like to select Conor Bedard. And it's like, there's 900 people up there. and it's
0: ridiculous.
1: Including all the secretaries and and the staff people and the guy that gets people coffee. And they're all up on the stage at once. That kind of cracks me up. But at the same time. They have to really work on, if they want this to be still on TV and they want people to still watch and they want people to still be interested, they're going to have to do something. Whether it's hire NFL films to come in and do something for the NHL, because that's probably one of the best sports production companies out there,
2: Mm -hmm. NFL
1: films. They're going to have to do something to make it different. Just like they used to do at the All-Star game for a while, Mm -hmm. where they were doing all kinds of weird stuff and funny stuff and things. They're going to have to do that. And maybe now that they just do it decentralized, maybe now there'll be one location that'll host the draft. They could do it in Vegas or do it somewhere. Or maybe they'll still bounce the draft around where you can bring in all the draft picks. I don't know. I don't know what the thing is. But the fact that next year we still don't have a place for it, and now that the the teams have pretty much overwhelmingly voted to make it this way, they better do something quick. You're going to have to come up with something quick.
0: I would be annoyed if I was a 17, 18-year-old kid who, you know, was getting drafted or was probably going to get drafted. And, and, like, I had to fly into a city and, like, pay for the hotel and the plane and stuff. And then, like, you know, the GM that drafts you isn't even going to be there because... They're all back in their home cities. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's like, well, we'll just we'll still make the people who are getting drafted be inconvenienced. I know it's not an inconvenience. I mean, it's something you look forward to. And I remember when I went to the draft in 2018, dude, it was like going to prom because you had all these. Young men dressed in really nice suits, milling around, and then they had their girlfriends with them, and they were all dressed in really nice dresses. They looked like they were going to prom and they were going to the draft. And it was just such a weird experience. Like, I'm walking around. Most of them
1: probably skipped prom to go to the
0: draft. (laughs) That's okay. You know what? Part of me was like, I wanted to just go up and get autographs from everybody, but then I was just like, but I don't even know who they are. So I think I might have had like a a book with like the uh, all the draft prospects. And I wanted to be like, can you find where you're ranked and then sign next to your picture? And then be like, oh yeah, I think I'm the 58th ranked in North America. And then like turn to that page. Oh yeah, is that you? Yeah, that's me. Okay. Would you sign by your picture? I could have done that but I didn't. That's one observation from the draft that I went to. The other thing, I really liked this, and they should do this on TV. When they would say, like, the Carolina Hurricanes are on the clock. They have two minutes to make a pick. What they would show on the Jumbotron is they would show the hype video that they would show before the game. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, it's on the Jumbotron.
0: Yes, and I love that because... I always like the one they do for the Blackhawks. I mean, one year they did one that was really awesome that showed, like, the Blackhawks skating through Chicago. Like, the whole ground was frozen. It was awesome. It was just... So I still think about this hype video from like the 0809 season, just how freaking cool it was. Right. And it's cool to see those videos and you don't always get to see them unless you go to those games because they don't really show them on TV. And that's what they should show during that two minutes instead of listening to the people say, well, I think Anaheim is going to take this player because they really need the defenseman. And I get it. There's always time for that. But. Just showing that hype video is a cool way to kill time because watching the draft is kind of boring. And it's even more boring in person because everybody's like that big when you're sitting in the nosebleeds. But that's something I would do.
1: Well, and we're going to see what they come up with, but they're going to have to come up with something because they're going to have to make it into happy, happy, fun time NHL draft because no one's going to want to watch it. People barely want to watch it now. And look, how many times can you keep bringing up prospect after prospect after prospect, especially in the first round where these guys have been trained their entire lives to be the robot personality people? And they answer questions the same way. And they're just, you have no personality. It's been sucked out of you because you're being groomed for the NHL. And everybody wants that little nugget and that little piece of substance of a cool interview and they don't get it and it's just the same over and over and over and over <laughs> and rinse and repeat
0: hey uh, what's what's the first nhl draft you remember watching on tv
1: 91 or 92 probably
0: oh oh really yeah so like the lindros draft yeah so that would have been 91
1: yeah i think that was one because i didn't watch it the year before
0: I remember watching um, the 89 draft and that was because I had just gotten into hockey in like January of 89. So then I was trying to consume everything hockey related that I could, you know, I had some games that I had taped and I, you know, watched the finals, even though the Blackhawks weren't, you know, they got eliminated by then, but I was just so into hockey. I mean, it was, it was definitely like a love at first sight for me with hockey. Like, when i got into it i got way into it and so like that first six months i just tried to consume anything hockey related so it was like okay this draft is happening and this is where the new players are going to get picked and you know i was still relatively new to the sport but i watched it anyways because i'm just like well this is something hockey related and what else am i gonna watch right and i remember they drafted Mats sundin first overall the quebec nordiques took Matt Sundin first overall, and they're making a big deal about it because you're like, this is the first European player to get drafted first overall. And I'm like, OK, cool. I'm witnessing history here, right? You know, and so that was kind of cool, but it was boring. I mean, it was back in the Sports Channel America days, but it was still just something to see. And then I remember watching the 90 draft when Jaromir Yager went fifth overall, and They were talking ahead of time, and they're like, well, this is the top four, but then there's this kid from Czechoslovakia named Jaromir Jagr, and he might be the best player in the draft. And I remember, like, I want to say they had, like, a picture of him, and then they, like, stamped, like, best player, question mark, right? Like, you know, the cheesy, like, 90s graphics. Like, they're like, but he might actually be the best player. And that's still up for debate if it's Jagr or Broder. I know you're going to probably lean one way and I'm going to lean the other way, but uh, that can be a discussion topic for another time.
1: I don't compare goalies and skaters.
0: Fair. I like that. That We could just end it there.
1: I separate them.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So there's a couple of hockey documentaries that are going to be coming out on Amazon Prime in 2024. So the more interesting of the two is called Chosen One, Alexander Day and it chronicles how a record-setting junior hockey star, charismatic French-speaking teenager, Alexander Daig, was positioned to become a savior for both the city of Ottawa and the Senators, a team that desperately needed goals and fans. With overwhelming expectations, Daig fell short of what the team and fans had envisioned. Decades later, Daig reflects on how he navigated the gap between people's projections and his everyday Existence to love life and hockey while living with fans' pronouncements of his failure. So that's the first one. The other one is called Saving Sackick. Follows the saga of Colorado Avalanche chairman and CEO Charlie Lyons as he looks to secure big dollars to save his all-star captain Joe Sackick. After an unprecedented offer from the New York Rangers to Sackick, the captain and lifeblood of Lyons' beloved NHL franchise, Lions had seven days to find $15 million or lose everything he spent years building. Lions has no chance to beat the ticking clock, but somehow he finds a lifeline from an unexpected place, Hollywood. So, two hockey documentaries. These both sound interesting. Obviously, I want to see the one about Alexander Daig because I think there's like a lot I don't know about that. But as we all know, the Colorado Avalanche were able to keep Joe Sackick. But I do remember him getting that offer sheet from the Rangers and just thinking like, damn, <laughs> damn, you know. It was like, remember when Carolina tried to pry Sergei Fedorov away from the uh, the Red Wings?
2: Yeah,
0: Some like ridiculously crazy bonus-laden contracts. Those are always interesting too when you look back later and go, wow, like a what if.
1: I find it interesting that those are the two documentaries though. You, know, On one hand, you have a, a story that a lot of hockey fans maybe knew about, but never put a lot of thought into.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: the Sackick deal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you said, you remember hearing about it and you thought, you know, wow, that's a lot. And then you probably went on with your life and never thought about it again after that. Meanwhile, with Dag, it was he was the phenom. He was supposed to be that guy, like the next one. Mm-hmm. And he was going to be huge. And he was going to be everything from the hobby side. Holy cow. It was just like, that was it. He was the guy. You had to get his cards. You had to you had to buy the product with him on it. He was being used as a promoting tool for various products and stuff. And he was it. And then he gets in the league and it's like, okay. Yeah, he'll get there. All right. Next season. Uh, okay. 37 point. Uh, okay. Well, he'll get there. And then <laughs> like. Then he only plays 50 games and it's like, uh, five goals. Um, what's going on? And then he plays a full season finally in like 96 and has like 26 goals. You're like, okay, he's getting there. And then he never scored like more than 10 goals, except for, I think like once after that. And it was just like, wow, talk about a swing and a miss, you know, Mm -hmm. to use a baseball terminology, but what was it was it pressure was it you know the fact that he just wasn't that good the fact that his junior skills couldn't translate into the nhl was he on a bad team did he not have supporting cast around him you know what was it i think that is going to be a much more interesting type story that and the fact that he's a penguins legend so
0: how many games with the pens 33 okay (laughs) yeah
1: He played 33 games for him in like the 02 03 season.
0: You know, one thing that I found recently we're all guilty of this as card collectors. We buy stuff, we put it in a pile, we forget about it. And then one day, push comes to shove and we need to put it away or whatever. And I was clearing stuff off my dining room table because I was going to have company over. And I'm like, well, I don't want to look like a slob. So, you know, and you have two options. You either option A, you throw them all in a box and then forget about them. Or B, you actually try to put them away the way they're supposed to. And I kind of did a little bit of both. But one of the things I found, this was something I picked up at the Toronto Expo last fall. So now we're looking, this has been on my, my table for like 10, 11 months. It was a photo of Alexander Daig in a pinnacle jersey. Because Pinnacle Brands, formerly Score, so Score Hockey Cards, Pinnacle Hockey Cards, same company back in the day, he was a spokesman for Pinnacle. And so this was like a promotional photo of him in a Pinnacle jersey. And I just thought, oh, this is cool for five bucks. Hell yeah, I'm buying this. You know what I mean? You know, on on all his cards, he either showed up on his junior jersey, or I think they were all like Sens jerseys because Pinnacle had some sort of They had a deal with him or they like photographed him ahead of time. You know, now people get angry. Oh, it's from a rookie photo shoot. But that's what Pinnacle was doing in the 90s with Lindros and and Dague. I mean, that's how they got him in their product so early, doing a photo shoot with them. Anyway, so yeah, so I found this photo that I had forgotten that i had such a cool thing i love promotional things like that what i want to know in the documentary this is what i'm really hoping that they answer if he actually put on the nurse's uniform for that print ad that ran in magazines and comic books back in uh 93 you know the one i'm talking about i don't okay so it was
1: but i really want to it
0: was it was an ad it ran in Beckett hockey it ran in some comic books because score was very good at Advertising in the comic books that I read, and it said the only way to get a card of Alexander Daig in his Ottawa senator's uniform is to buy score hockey series one. And it had a picture of him dressed as like a Mountie and a picture of him dressed as a nurse, like with the white tights and like the skirt and like the nurse's hat like a woman nurse, you know, like, like what you think of when you say nurse, right? Like, so, so like, it was like six different, like not a real
1: nurse, but one that's portrayed on, on soap operas and porno.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. With the red cross on that, the hat Uh and everything, right. No hospital
1: ever has had a nurse that looked like that, but yet somehow on TV, we're supposed to think they did.
0: Right. So it had them in like six different uniforms or six different outfits, you know, but not an NHL uniform. So that was the whole thing. The only way to see Alexander Dagan is NHL uniform is to buy score series one or pinnacle series one or whatever. And I think there was some controversy because he's dressed as a nurse. And then I think there was other controversy because he was a Mountie, but he was saluting with the wrong hand or something. And nobody picked up on oh that or gosh. whatever. I don't know. This is the nineties, man. Every, well, this is like when people got pissed off about things, but then it died off really quick. Cause there was no social media. Like, so it just was just you like mean okay. how
1: i wish things were now
0: yeah. yeah it kind of dies on the vine because like we go, well that's stupid okay he saluted with the wrong hand it doesn't mean he hates the military or whatever but now everything is, is such a thing but yeah so that's what i want to know from this documentary was that you or is that like photoshop or did they just like do a head swap because hey props to you if you put on those tights
1: i think i have that sp i think it was an sp card from the draft the score one that had him on the front wearing like the score jersey. It said score like in gold. And then on the back it it said pinnacle and he was in a black pinnacle jersey.
0: Nice. I think I have that somewhere. I wonder if that's the photo that got used on the card. We'll have to compare notes later. So, hey, there's been a few more guests announced for the Fall Expo since we last did a podcast, and I always want to toss this out. I've lost count now. Last time I counted, there were 31 guests. I think this brings us up to 35, and these are just the hockey players. This is not counting baseball or boxers or wrestlers or whatever. Since our last podcast, they've added Max Doby, Tiger Williams, Dennis Savard, and Scotty Bowman to the autograph lineup. So crazy amount of signers. So another current guy, Max Domi, You know a a fan favorite with Tiger Williams, a Hall of Fame center and Dennis Savard and a legendary coach and Scotty Bowman. So that's pretty impressive.
1: That'd be cool to get Scotty Bowman talking about stuff because he's got crazy stories.
0: So I've heard, care to guess whose autograph costs the most in this list and whose autograph costs the least without looking it up because that's that's no fun.
1: Logically, I would think Scotty Bowman's would cost the most.
0: Right, logically, but no, we're going to think it's about it's probably this. Max Domi. Correct. And yeah. then who do you think is the cheapest on that list?
1: Uh probably Tiger.
0: Absolutely right. And I didn't
1: even look this time.
0: So. No, 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 yeah. 109 for a Max Domi autograph. That's in Canadian and including taxes. Scotty Bowman is forty bucks. Uh, Dennis Savard is forty-five, and Tiger Williams is thirty-five. Anyways, yeah. A
1: current player that, yeah, he's a good player. He's a fan favorite. Not going to be a Hall of Famer. Max? Two Hall, yeah, two Hall of Famers, and a legendary player, but not a Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah. So if if you had the option. You know, if I said here's 110 bucks, do you want to get Max Domi or do you want to get Tiger Williams, Scotty Bowman, uh, Dennis Everett? That would be over 110. That'd be 30. That'd be 40, 80, 110. That'd be 120. I don't know.
1: I'll kick in the extra 10 bucks and get the other three.
0: Yeah, Savvy and uh, Tiger and 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 Scotty Bowman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was able to get Scotty Bowman's autograph at a Blackhawks convention one year, and I got the card signed by him, his seventy-four, seventy-five Tops rookie card, where he's the coach.
1: Yeah, wearing the, the Montreal pullover.
0: I love that card, and I, I also got Don Cherry's card signed, and— Man, that was just such a cool—if you look at those coaches' cards, I know I'm going off topic here, but those coaches' cards from the 74-75 season, I mean, just the sheer legends, right? You had Al Arbor. Now he had cards as a player, but that's his first card as a coach, like first mainstream card as a coach. You had Scotty Bowman. You had Don Cherry. You had Red Kelly. There's some really good names in that.
1: The Fred Shiro card is— Kind of legendary.
0: Fred Shero, yeah.
1: There's an Emile Francis one.
0: Oh, yes, Emile the Cat Francis.
1: Oh, and if you remember the Bob Pulford card, too. He was a coach, and it showed him in his King's jersey.
0: That's right! Yeah. Yeah, which was weird, because... Yeah,
1: he had the King's jersey on with the captaincy on the corner.
0: Bernie Jeffrey on as a coach.
1: He's in, like, a suit and a checkered suit, yeah.
0: You know, that was the first Bernie Jeffery on card I ever owned because it was the only one I could afford. Yeah. So I was just like, hey, this guy's in the Hall of Fame. And, oh, this card's only like a quarter. I'll buy it, even though he's in a checkered suit, not in a Montreal Canadiens uniform. Don Cherry, Billy Ray. Oh, yeah, Billy Ray. Not his first card because he was a player. Alex Delvecchio was a coach. I was uh, just trying to think. What was pocket. the
1: last set? And I know this is harping on the wrong thing, but what was the last set that had coaches' cards? Was it ninety ninety one pro set?
0: Like, just all the coaches or all yeah. the coaches minus one? Yeah, I, I think, think so. I can't think of one that had them. I think so. I mean, I know that we've had, like, some insert sets, like, behind the bench and like, that signature legend set that came out not too long ago. And I know that, like, we had some coaches in the 0607 Parkhurst set because I know that Mike Keenan is in that set and Don Cherry's in that set. But those are,
1: um, like, one-offs here and there. I'm talking, like, put them all in the set as part of the set. I think ProSat's the last one that did it.
0: Yeah, the problem with that is that in order to be in a set of cards of, like, current players, you need to be in the Players Association. That's just how it is, you know what I mean? So, like, the PA isn't going to be like, well, you could give some of the money to the coaches, right? They want to get all the money from the cards, right? Because people are buying the packs of Upper Deck Series 1 because they want the players in the set. The drivers of that are not the coaches. Like, you and I like that stuff, like the coaches and the refs and stuff like that. But, like, people are buying it because it's got Crosby and McDavid and Bedard and Ovechkin and whomever else, right? Those are the reasons why... People buy the hockey cards, not like, oh, this has got a card of Luke Richardson and Bruce Cassidy and Peter Laviolette as coaches, right? Like, we would geek out on that. But yeah. Well,
1: Perdeck does have the the NHL alumni license, too, because they have all the products with the alumni stamp on it. Yes. That they come out with. So, And in today's day and age, there aren't many head coaches that weren't players. So I wonder if they're all part of the Alumni Association, that it would fall under that clause.
0: That's a good point. It's a good point.
1: I can't even think of a coach right now that didn't play at least one game. Well, maybe. Was Tortorella a player?
0: Yeah, Torts played in like the Atlantic something hockey league. like oh, okay. some. He wasn't
1: it, an NHLer though.
0: No. I know Torts has a card in like the 88-89 uh, pro card set. He's like an assistant coach, I think, on New Haven or something like that, which is just such a trip.
1: I'm only asking because you're the expert. You do the article every year on the head coaching rookie cards. So. And
0: I still got to do one this year because there's like a bunch of new coaches that I have to like track down rookie cards for. We don't get a rinse and repeat from last year. Like we have had more turnovers the last few years. Um, yeah.
1: Just when you thought you could uh, dust off that Mike Babcock rookie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it was funny. I was going through my minor league cards. I don't know what I was looking for. I, I, was paging through. I think I was putting a set in pages, and I was paging through, and I found my Spokane Chiefs junior hockey set from 98-99. And the coaches on that team, drumroll, Bill Peters and Mike Babcock. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Do you think that locker room was a little toxic, or am I looking too much into things?
1: They changed their team name to the uh, toxic social media.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. So a couple weeks back, we talked about Tops Now stickers and how there were two Connor Bedard stickers in the first six stickers. I hate to keep saying stickers, but that's what they are. They're not cards, right?
1: You love saying stickers.
0: No, I, <clears throat> I get sick of saying stickers. But then I don't I can't find another word for card either. So if cards are cards and stickers are stickers, you know. Do you even want to guess the print run of these without looking? So I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you, I'm just going to re- reiterate what the stickers were. So sticker number one was Connor Bedard's first NHL game. Sticker number two was Crosby, Malkin, and Latang starting 18th season together. Sticker number three was Vegas Golden Knights raised their Stanley Cup banner. Sticker four, Austin Matthews gets a hat trick in uh, opening night debut. Sticker number five, Connor Bedard gets first NHL goal. Uh sticker number six, Boston Broom start hundredth season, and it pictured David Posternock on the front or on the sticker front because nobody gets pictured on the back. That's what you peel away. So do you want to guess what the high and the low was? And do you want to even try to fathom a number? Because dude, these are ridiculous.
1: The numbers that sold?
0: The print run. Like the right? print run. So just to reiterate, you could either buy a six-pack that had all six stickers if you just wanted one of each. Or you could buy a five pack of a particular sticker or you could buy a 20 pack of a particular sticker. So print runs that have like an odd or just unusual number, it might be because people bought like the six pack. So then that would increment it by one. But then people could also buy 20 of the same sticker. And then you could buy multiple packs of 20 or, set you know, whatever, like. I don't want to say sets of twenty, but you could buy five at a time for two bucks each, or twenty at a time for a dollar seventy-five each. Hmm. Which one sold the most? Which one sold the least? Well, obviously the Bedard sold the most. The number one or the number five? The first game or the first goal?
1: Uh, well, I'll just go with number one. That had to be the most.
0: Okay, you are correct. And which one sold the least? So was it Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Vegas Golden Knights, Austin Matthews? The other Connor Bedard or the Boston Bruins hundredth year.
1: It's gotta be the Bruins card.
0: You are also correct. Now, do you want to
1: guess? Man, nailed it. I should yeah, I should put some money down on stuff today.
0: Um okay, like, what's the price next is right? Can you guess without going over how many Connor Bedard's first game stickers sold?
1: I think of this in terms, um, my brain is immediately going to where it used to go all the time on these, where mm-hmm. I would throw out like 40 and I'd be close. 40 <laughs> so, what? 40 stickers? Like, yeah. Um, uh, Could can it, can it be in the
2: thousands? Yes.
1: All right. I will say 3,700.
0: I'll let you go again. You need to go higher.
1: Are you serious?
0: I am serious, my friend. 12,000. Higher?
1: I can't go higher. Are you? What?
0: Stickers. Keep going higher.
1: 20,000. Higher. 50.
0: No. Okay. Okay. 29,257 copies of the Connor Bedard's first NHL game sticker.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Were sold on tops now. What? Yes. What? 29,000. 29, okay. Now, low end so, Boston, Boston Bruins. How many? Uh, this is where you could do your normal guess and you'd probably like yeah, right. 400. 992. Okay. So just under a thousand of the Boston Bruins stickers sold, and twenty nine thousand Connor Bedard stickers sold. The other sticker, the other Connor Bedard sticker, nineteen thousand four hundred and sixty seven. The rest Good of these Lord. print runs are about what you'd expect. Crosby, Malkin, Latang, one thousand two hundred and two. I'm actually surprised that wasn't higher. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights, one thousand four hundred and seventy seven. Austin Matthews, one thousand forty two. So, there you go. So, 29,000.
1: So, like 50,000 Bedard stickers sold.
0: Yes, and and almost 30 of them were the first one, and almost 20 of them were the second one. I'm
1: sorry, but that's asinine. That just really is.
0: I <laughs> feel like we're going to see a lot of these in Chicago at the November show. Yeah, you think? Yeah. So, yeah, hey. Um, Tops Now stickers, yay. I mean, they <sighs> probably... You know somebody shit their pants when they're like we sold 29,000 of these things that we could barely sell a thousand of, right? Cuz you look at like the Bruins one sells less than Remember how remember how ridiculously low those print runs were getting like 400, 500.
1: That's why I said at at one point in time, you know, a couple hundred that was that was good.
0: Right. Right. Well, when you gave people a book to put them in, they had a reason to collect them all. And when you stop doing that, then you're just putting them in pages. But I really don't want to spend two dollars on a sticker when I could buy a pack of hockey cards and get more than one sticker. I mean, I know a pack of cards is more than two bucks, but you see what I'm saying. Right. Like, do I want to spend twelve dollars on six stickers that I'm going to put in a page or not? Or do I want to spend twelve dollars on a pack of cards and like get cards? So
1: think about this for a second. Yep. You sold 30,000. We'll just say sticker number one. 30,000 of these sold. The drive for these is generally the parallels that they throw out there. So there were the blue ice and the gold ice. Blue ice is out of 10. Gold ice is out of one. Mm -hmm. That's it. The rest of them are base. Mm -hmm. 30,000 stickers and 10 of them are blue. One of them's gold. That's the odds on that. So that's, that's like the equivalent of what's going to happen here with the young guns and the gold one-of-one one version of mm-hmm. the young gun when it hits. There's going to be 300,000, and I might be exaggerating, but I put might in big, bold letters, 300,000 of the base card, and there's going to be one gold barrel <laughs> and 10 of the high gloss. You it's know, the, that's the same comparison,
0: the, yeah, it is. And you know what? They should have probably scaled those blue iced parallels because I even remember like when Tops Now originally did its thing, it was like one in every five packs would have like a gold parallel or it would have the retro, uh, yeah, the retro, retro ones, insert, you right. know. And and that was cool, like, you had an incentive to buy five packs and then you knew you got one of them, right? Like, if the odds are with you. But, uh, yeah, so anyways, I just think that's crazy, that 29,000 Connor Bedard stickers, and then another 19,000, and then the rest are like 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, and just under 1,000.
1: And that's why I think those numbers were scaled that way. If you normally sell 1,000 of something, and you think, well, this one's better, so we're going to sell 10,000, so we'll leave the numbers at 10 and 1 on the parallels. And then you sell 30. Yeah. Ugh. That's crazy. That's a lot. So,
0: so okay. Now, on the other hand, you had Upper Deck do its game dated moments. They did five cards. Two of them were Connor Bedard first game and then first goal. They staggered them. So I'm using Chicago time because that's where I'm at. So this is how I just you know set a little reminder on my phone that at 11 a.m. the first Connor Bedard card was going to go on EPAC 11:30. The second card went up. 12 o'clock, 3, 4, and 5, the Austin Matthews, and then the two other rookie cards uh, went up. And uh, the rookie cards had print runs of 1,199, and the non-rookie cards have a print run of 599. So here's what happened. At 1055, I went to EPAC, I logged in, went to the EPAC page, made sure everything was good to go. You don't want to log in when you're trying to buy something. You already want to be logged in. Right. At 11 a.m., I refreshed the site and it crashed. Like, I hit reload and the screen went blank. So uh, I kept hitting refresh and then at 11.02, you know, because I kept getting little error messages. And then at 11.02, I was able to see the pack. I was able to add two of them to my cart. At 11.04, I go to the cart none of the buttons are highlighted. The keep shopping, check out, remove all those buttons are dead, right? I can't do anything. So then at 1105 I whip out my phone. I'm logged in on my phone. I go to try to place an order. I add the two packs to the cart. I go to my shopping cart. I check out with PayPal because it's faster. And then at 1106, so a minute later, I get logged off Epack. Instead of saying congratulations for your order, It just logs me off the website. I go back to the browser, the computer I'm sitting in front of, and I would hit reload and I'd get like the EPAC logo and it'd say, We are performing site maintenance. Like that was their go to error message, right? Okay. Now it's 1110, and I am trying to do a checkout on my computer, and then it is basically said, we can't process your order. And I guess because they were sold out, although it still showed them as being in stock, but then at 1111 11, AM, they were sold out. And that was the first card. The second card was a different story. 1130, I refreshed the website. 1131, I was able to purchase the two cards. And that was it. So like literally everybody and their mom was trying to buy the first card. And then I guess the second card, only I was buying it because at 1130, I refreshed at 1131, add two to the cart, go to checkout, checkout with PayPal, boom, boom, boom. It's now 1131, and it says, thank you for your order.
1: Everybody that, and their mom was ordering, and it however, was because of their moms it crashed.
0: That card now sold out at 1136. I think the first card sold out sooner than 1111. I think it sold out sooner than 11 minutes. I think that just so many people are trying to buy it and the site was so slow that they might have sold out at 11.02, but the site was just so overwhelmed with orders and stuff. Remember, you got a lot of people trying to buy just 1,200 cards and you could buy two at a time. So, which is weird that you could buy two at a time, but they limit it to 11.99. So I guess the person who buys it last can only buy one, which is better than none. Okay, then at noon... Cards 3, 4, and 5 go on sale. At 12.04, they're still available. Finally, at 12.10, the Matthews card sells out. That one's only limited to 599 copies. By 12.18, cards 4 and 5 were sold out. So the first card probably sold out in a minute, but I'm saying 11 minutes because that's when it told me it was sold out, but it was probably really a minute. Card 2 sold out in 6 minutes. Card 3 sold out in 10 minutes. Cards four and five sold out in 18 minutes. So that was a lot of people trying to buy that first week of game dated moments. Yeah, I mean, I'm like trying to buy and like uh, one of the people who's a member of our Facebook collecting group is like, he's messaging me. He's like, hey, are you trying to buy the card? I'm trying to buy the card and I can't I can't buy it. And I message it back. I'm like, I'm busy now. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later. I'm trying to buy the card.
1: That's nuts hate to say it, though. I kind of knew that was going to happen.
0: Of course we did.
1: But to that that level, yikes.
0: Swifties, I feel your pain. I know what it's like to want to buy something and not be able to get it. And, of course, I'm referring to trying to buy Taylor Swift concert tickets and not being able to. And I can relate now because I tried to buy something, not a ticket, but a card.
1: Well, I've said it before, and my conspiracy theory mind sticks to this. And it makes me feel like there's so many things that Upper Deck could do with the EPAC platform to prevent things like this from happening. With the technology that's out there and the IT departments that companies have, you would think there would be fail-safes. There's not. And it makes me think like they want this to happen because regardless of whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, the publicity of it, is worth, it. I mean, it's free advertising. Here we are talking about it. I mean, yeah, it's free advertising. What good, bad, or otherwise? I don't know. Call a conspiracy if you want. I think
0: it's marketing. Let's crash our site. Marketing. (laughs) Right, then they could say, oh, so many people wanted this hockey card, it crashed our site. Look
1: what we make. We make something that's so popular and so in demand that we can't even keep up with it. You need this. I don't know. That's just my conspiracy theory brain. But
0: Let's talk about Upper Deck Series one Twenty-three, twenty-four, Upper Deck Series 1. You actually beat me to the punch. You've bought some. I don't have any yet. So you're going to talk more about that than I will because I haven't actually held the cards, looked at the cards, smelled the cards, done all the things you do with the cards to, to really experience opening hey, Series hey, 1. Hey, now, I just look at them. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Me too. Sometimes I read them. So a hobby box, this is the new configuration. A hobby box, 12 packs, 12 cards per pack. Uh, right now selling for 150 per hobby box. You got your standard 250 cards, 200 are base cards. You got 198 player cards, two checklists. You got uh, 50 young guns, 49 are young guns, rookie cards, ones, the young guns checklist. There are 85 different insert sets, and there are seven different parallel sets, including the debut of Outbursts, silver, red, and gold, with gold being numbered one out of one and silver being numbered out of 25. So, And then there's a very special card that kind of blew up the internet, well, as far as (laughs) hockey card collectors go. Insane that that happened. Let's talk about this.
1: I picked up two boxes from my LCS that I go to. Cool. Which I haven't been to in a while. And actually, my wife brought it up the one day. She's like, we should go visit Ken. That's the owner of their shop. I'm nice. Like, really? It was her idea. So I can't get blamed for these things. But yeah, and he had them, and they were a good price because you're finding them online all all over the place for 150 and that's that's what his price was. So Nice. I, I was happy with those. Now, some of his other stuff, eh. But he had more hockey than I've ever seen, ever. I've been shopping with him for 30 years. That's not a joke, 30 years. He used to be over in Illinois. He moved over here like many, many, many moons ago. But yeah, I've never seen as much hockey in a shop. And we had a nice conversation about it, which is not about upper deck, but I can save that for another time. But essentially it's an allocation issue. Uh, from distributor but Mm. anyway yeah so i was kind of like i don't know if i want this product you know configurations off you know i really only want to chase connor bedard because he's the greatest and i'm all about the money so i don't know (laughs) that i want series one um but i was on the fence with it and when i looked up the pricing i'm like yeah this pricing's pretty good and so i was like all right let's get one box of this and of course, my wife says, one box? You can't get anything out of one box. We have to get at least two. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm not making this up. So this is what she said. So we got two boxes. And I thought I was going to hate the fact that there's only 12 cards per pack and 12 packs in a box with the new configuration because I thought, oh, pff, we're going to be through this box in no time. We won't have all these packs to open. I actually enjoyed opening these boxes, I really did. Like I I liked it and I didn't feel like there was less base cards. There were, but I didn't feel like there were because of the multiple inserts that were in every pack. So it like you, you flip through your four or five base cards and then you hit the inserts in the middle and then the rest of the base cards are in the back. And so you like flip through and then all of a sudden your mind's taken off the fact that, you got shorted some base cards from previous years and you're looking at these crazy inserts. And so then you're starting to think, wow, this is weird. Oh, wow. This one's weird. Oh, this is cool. Oh, this is the most God awful thing I've ever seen, you know, and so on and so forth as you go through the box experience. So I actually enjoyed it. I found myself enjoying the product. I know who is this guy you're talking to. Yeah, I know your yeah. mind's blown, right?
0: No, oh, no, 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 because you usually like Series 1, Series 2, and you extended, and you liked Opichi, so you always have nice things to say about those products.
1: In general, yes. Now, you know, as far as looking at the design and everything, I'm neither over the top about it, nor am I like, I hate it. It just kind of is what it is. It reminds me a lot of last year's
0: design. It does. I like it, though. I didn't like last year's design, but I like this year's design for some reason, and I don't know why. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And see, I feel like it's not a huge departure from last year's design. But I will say this. Looking at the sell sheet of those outbursts, because this is what people want to know about. They don't care about the base cards. They want to know about these freaking outburst cards. So Mm -hmm. looking at them on the website and on the sell sheets... I was like, is this really what they look like? Like, this kind of looks weird. So I think the Alex Ovechkin one was on the sell sheet. Yes. You get these in hand, they're something. They are certainly something. You look at them, and it's... I don't think they're foil board, but it's whatever kind of printing that they used on the top of them. So they do shine a little bit, but it's not, like, over-the-top prism-y-like. And it's also not really rainbow like so like if you think of a lore or of a peachy platinum Mm -hmm. the difference between the regular chromium type cards and the rainbow ones where they both shine but the rainbow ones you turn them a certain way you see a rainbow yeah it's the term rainbow these don't have that they just have the base kind of shine to them but Mm. it's like an explosiveness to it so that it gives a kind of a feeling of movement like when you turn it in the light here's one you know people can't see it at home but it's hard to see on a screen but can I see what I'm saying
0: so yeah so it's not quite like a dazzler's card yeah but it has kind of like an emanating background behind them that like radiates yeah it's okay and I got
1: got one in each box you know the ones I pulled I got Michael McCloud in one box and I got Taylor Radish in the other box
0: ah yes Radish
1: so yeah they're they're kind of neat and what they did over the base card is they essentially took the base card photo and they made like a white outline around the player to make them stand out from the background. Mm-hmm. So if you look on that OV test print picture, he mm-hmm. doesn't really have that big of a white line around him. Correct. The actual cards, it's very distinct. So that's really the only difference between that and that. So the outbursts are nice. I didn't get any of the outbursts red. And I didn't get any of the outburst gold. So no one of ones for me. Nor did I get any of the red, which I thought was weird. But I did get one deluxe card out of Mm -hmm. one box. So out of the two boxes, I got one deluxe. I could do without those.
0: Well, what makes them deluxe? Because that's a new set of parallels this year.
1: So deluxe, they decided to number these out of 250. They use blue foil, like Mm -hmm. a kind of a sky blue foil. And then they have the stamp number like that they've been using. I think it's when they changed the font on the numbering when they went to, like, the Italian printer. Mm -hmm. Um, So they have that newer font, and it's over on the side in gold. But on the bottom, distinctly, you know you have a deluxe card because, A, the silver embossing is now blue, and it also says deluxe on the card. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the one that I got, I got a Trent Frederick. So if you look down in the corner, you see the blue. Bruins mm-hmm. logo, the blue line, and it says Deluxe on the very bottom.
0: Now, is the player also in that blue or no? No.
1: The no player okay, so is s- not in blue.
0: Standard print on the front. It just has yeah. X, some blue foil.
1: Yeah, only the foil's been changed. The upper deck logo, the team logo, the lines across the bottom, they're all in that blue color. So, gotcha. But these are numbered out 250. Here's the thing. We already had the base card, obviously. We already have the... Um, Exclusives numbered out of 100. We had the high gloss numbered out of 10. I was fine with that. I don't think these are necessary. Why add another 250? I don't know. That's overkill. These don't do it for me. The outburst, I'll I'll give them the outburst. The outbursts are kind of cool. But the deluxe, eh.
0: Yeah, I mean, just changing the foil color, they do that anyways. Or they did a lot of the times, like with the uh, UD exclusives and the UD high glosses.
1: And the thing with those... Too is you got to look at the fact that this is also going to be a crossover EPAC product. Right. So you're now going to add the element of I can take 10 of these and turn it into a gold card. And then I can take 10 of the gold card and turn it into a spectrum card. So you're going to have those other parallels available through EPAC too. So adding this deluxe just to me seemed like, I don't know. I get it, but that's a no for me dog on that one. So. Beyond that, I, of course, did not get the Connor Bedard unannounced draft pick card. With yes. Him holding up a number one in his generic Blackhawks jersey and his Ooh. nice little hat. You know, we didn't hear about this. An upper deck always does an Easter egg or two or three or ten. These are always in every product. This is a NHL draft card, which they have been doing draft cards in extended the last couple of years yep. and adding that to like, they'll do a few young guns and then the back half of the young guns will be these draft pick cards. This is the same kind of design as the what those draft pick cards would look like, but nobody knew about it. It wasn't on a checklist. Nobody talked about it. It was a secret. And then all of a sudden they started popping up. So the questions were, how many of these are there? Are there 10? Are there a hundred? Are there 50? How many are actually out there? Because it's obviously a short printed card. Well, yeah, it's going to be short printed just like Young Guns are. Maybe even less. But there's a ton. As soon as this product hit, they were everywhere. They're all over eBay and all of the different platforms. And people had them offered for sale. And good Lord. I don't know how many there are. I really couldn't tell you. But it's. It's more than people think it is to drive the price up to where it did initially out of the box. I think. But, again, I wasn't disappointed that I didn't get one. Would it have been cool? Yeah. I don't think I got any of the other unannounced Easter eggs either. I didn't get any of the Swagnificent cards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You like that? Swagnificent.
0: Swagnificent, yes.
1: Which is the name that they're now giving to the photo variants where it shows players in their suits. Didn't get any of those. They're actually marked this year. They say it's swag deficit on them in okay. silver. Um, I didn't get any of the Deons. Those look cool. Yeah, the Deons look cool. Those were they're unannounced.
0: Like, they're like red and blue. Well, at least the one that I've seen is red and blue. I don't know if they're all like that. I haven't seen a lot of pictures of them, but they kind of remind me of like the old 3D glasses that are red and blue.
1: Um, Yeah, because they're supposed to be neon. But they changed the name to Dion. And I know there was a reason for that, but I, I don't I don't remember exactly. But and I didn't get any of the fanimations either. Those look cool.
0: Now those yeah. they, they knocked out of the park with at least the one that I've seen. kind of is like that caricature style.
1: Yeah. And the fanimations have, have kind of always been there. They just are never announced. It's just taken for granted that one of the releases they'll be fanimation cards. Mm-hmm. I didn't get any of those. But what I did get, I did get quite a plethora of, plethora, you like that word? I do, Um, I love it. I got quite a plethora of inserts and parallels. Um, Two boxes, I got one clear-cut card
2: Mm -hmm.
1: out of two boxes. I got those two um, outbursts, I got the one blue deluxe, and then I got a whole mess of crazy inserts. So let's talk about some of these. I'm just going to go down the list here. Two hundred by eighty-five. Do you see these?
0: Like so, them on like a little bit like a uh, ice rink drawn behind them or something.
1: Yeah, so it's like a hockey rink, and they're called two hundred by eighty-five, and it's kind of like all the top stars and rookies, like superimposed over a skating rink. So it's like two hundred on the side. 85 across the top, and then you have the player superimposed over the rink. The rink's in silver, and the base cards have a blue border. Cool thing about these is for those that like to have differing photos, you have the player on the front of the card, in most cases wearing their their darks
2: mm-hmm. and
1: their jerseys, and then when you flip the card over to the back, they have a different photo with the player in their lights.
2: Uh, those in, are in nice. Those so these are, are kind
1: of nice. cool. Yeah, it's kind of a cool concept. Originally, I saw it when I pulled it out of the pack. I'm like, what is this? This is weird. What is this, a ruler? Because it looks like a ruler on the side. But yeah, it's got the picture on the front and on the back. There's gold parallel versions of these as well.
0: Well, and we got got foil on both sides of the card.
1: Yeah, there's foil on both sides. I did pull a gold parallel, and of course, it's my buddy number 87. Sid
0: the Kid. That is a nice pull.
1: So he's got that on the front. And then him in the white on the back. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Those grew on me fairly quickly as I looked at them more. And Mm I thought, are these dumb or are they not dumb? But I, I will say that they're not dumb. And again, there's the theme here. There's a lot of foil. So they brought back Special Edition and the new design for Special Edition. It looks a little different than what the sell sheets actually showed. But they're still... Still kind of cool. They're like heavy silver. Like silver mm-hmm. foil. Heavy, heavy silver foil. They
0: got kind of a rainbow sheen to them yeah. as well.
1: But they say special edition up in the corner, and it's basically the player, the washed out background is all silver, and the players in the focus on the card. They're kind of cool. Those look um, like
0: top's finest cards from the late nineties.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: And, you know, the ones with the, the rink backgrounds, remember those all-star cards, like mid-90s all-star cards? I think they also had the French name, like Latoya, however you say, a oh, star in yeah, French. yeah, those are,
1: those are SPX.
0: Yeah, and they had, like, they were die-cut, and they had, like, the player in, like, front of the rink, like, close yeah, yeah. in front of, like, the rink. That's what those remind me of, and I, I think, I, I mean, I think both of those are cool. I think it's okay if, like, I look at something and say, well, this is clearly inspired by this. And that's okay. You know what I mean? Can only go back to the 63-64 Parkhurst set so many times for inspiration. I think it's cool now that we're seeing stuff from the 90s that are inspiring cards of today.
1: Well, and speaking of 90s, they have these Star Zone cards, too. Mm -hmm. So talk about, like, over-the-top foil and in-your-face kind of stuff. So these Star Zone cards are kind of crazy design so they're very foily, and it has a player with like the whole Sears Portrait Studio design, where the uh-huh. player's in the front, and then there's a superimposed one in the background of him looking the other direction, and it's like super shiny. Here's the interesting thing about them: I got three of those out of two boxes. I got the Marner, the Stamkos, and I got another Crosby. Nice. Out of that, but if you notice on the car, it's hard to see on your end, and of course nobody listening can see. You notice how the player doesn't really stand out from the background? Usually right. they make the player like pop out of the front and they wash out the back. In this case, they didn't. Everything's the same. It's all well, the flat.
0: F- foreground so player has has an outline and the background player doesn't. From he from
1: does, but that's the only distinguishing thing. It's not raised, it's not lifted, it's not a different print. It's all part of the print.
0: Yeah, because so usually if, what upper deck will do is like They'll do like the chrome on all the card, but then they'll like not make the player that shiny, reflective, rainbowy stuff so that when you tilt <clears throat> it in the light, the player pops off, or even if something as simple as like um SP Authentic, right, with the white backgrounds, and they'll put like a spot varnish over the player so they're glossy and the background is not glossy. Like they do clever things like that to make the players like stand out from the background so you're you're absolutely right about that
1: right and i thought this was weird that they didn't do it this time because like perfect example they have these star surge cards which they're growing on me too so star surge it's pretty much all foil and you can see that there's like the spot varnish on the player to make them stand out over the background but the background is like blended in so i got three of those out of a box they're all kind of like that. They're kind of cool. There's parallel versions of these too, but I didn't get any of those.
0: You know, Upper um, Deck has really raised its foil game this season, and I like it.
1: I'll tell you what. There's so much foil type stuff in this product. It's kind of crazy. You know, the dazzlers are in there too. I got a couple of dazzlers, one in each box. They were both blue ones. I got Miko Rantanen and William Nylander, but they're uh they're typical. I don't know. I'm having a hard time distinguishing one year from the next on the Dazzlers, but mm-hmm. for some reason people like these, so they keep bringing them back. What are these in, like, blue is base, and then there's pink and
0: orange and green and yellow. and. So with Dazzlers you have blue, green, orange, pink, red, and black. Yeah, so a lot of different ones. I
1: don't know. I'm not big into the Dazzlers, which gets me into some of these other ones that I'm not too over the top about for instance honor roll is back they keep bringing honor roll back i'm not sure why they keep bringing honor roll back but they keep bringing honor roll back you know we know honor roll used to be its own standalone product for like a season or two and then it disappeared and then they brought it back a few years ago as an insert set uh they are what they are they're all super colorful they remind me of an insert that would probably be if they still had victory That would this would be like the game uh what do they call them Game Game breakers. Breakers. Yeah. This is this is what these remind me of because they're so super colorful. And they kind of shy away from the -the over-the-top prism y silver. Mm
2: -hmm. They just
1: have like the gold, like the gold accents on the on the typing. I got eight of those out of two boxes, so four in each box. You can get those in shorter prints too. I think they fall like one out of three packs, but there's numbered out of 25 versions. I think they're gold. Teacher's Pet.
0: Ugh. What is, the, is with those? Okay, this I, is I'm the one my wife hates.
1: This is the one my wife hates. This one, she right. hates this one.
0: Lay it on <laughs> me. What is the deal with these?
1: So, teacher's pet, and I don't know. Let's here. Here's somebody different that you don't normally see on an insert card. Jack McBain. So we have Jack McBain from the Coyotes on here, and we're looking at this card. And essentially, what this card is is we're looking at, it says teacher's pet in like post-it notes stuck to a bulletin board across the Mm -hmm. top. And then it has a bunch of thumbtacks in a bulletin board. And then it shows report card and it has the player on it. And it goes down the report card and shows what their grades are in all of the various categories that they're being graded on. And then a little shot of the player on the bottom. So in Jack McBain's case, he's being graded on hits, offense, goals, points, and assists. And you can't see what's behind him in assists or plus minus. That's on the bottom. But he gets a star in points, a star in goals, and a star in offense. But in hits, he gets an A+. And I did notice that everything on the top of each one of these, all of the reports are different for every player.
0: Right, based on their strengths and weaknesses or their strengths.
1: And we got five of these out of the two boxes. So, like, Joe Pavelski. His A-plus is plus-minus. Uh, Elias Sorokin, his A-plus is save percentage. So everybody has an A-plus at the top, and that's whatever their strong suit is.
0: Everybody gets an A. Everybody but you
1: gets don't... an A-plus, and the rest of their categories, they get silver stars.
0: So. Well, they, they did something like that with, if you remember, 93-94 top stadium club. On the back, they gave the players ratings, but they were ratings based on stuff that the players were good at. You know what I mean? So it would show them having like, you know, they were like little power meters, almost like from a video game. And it would say like, you know, the player gets this in face-offs, right? Because they were a good face-off player or whatever. So anyway, so they kind of tailored him to that.
1: Yeah, I I don't know what the goal was here, but I can tell you, I've never really seen my my wife, mad about cards, but she hated these so much. Did she like give she a reason or? I, she just hated them. She thought they were the, <laughs> the dumbest things ever.
0: Well, like, we've seen things like this called scouting report. Yes. And yes. teacher's pet just sounds. It's pretty much that. Same, it, very same it's thing. always a, It's always said in a derogatory way. It's never said in, like, a nice way. So what I think would be great would be, like, Star Pupil. Or star student. I think Star Student would have been a good name, but teacher's pet just sounds kinda not so nice. Right.
1: Right. So rookie retrospectives are back. I got we got three of those in there. They look essentially the same as they always do. There's not right. really much to say about those. Stat box fillers. I'm I'm calling this you can get rid of the stat part of this and just call it a box filler because Mm -hmm. that's what these are. We got four of them, two in each box. I don't know. I mean, you can be a judge. You can look up what they look like, but essentially that's the stat box filler card. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: it's a player superimposed over a stat box. So if you were going to look up, you know, the ESPN or the NHL.com stat list, where it shows the last five games and their year total and whatever. It's exactly what is printed behind them. Mm. So it's them superimposed over top of that. And the back is really just a little tiny photo of them and just a blurb about them. That's it. That's all these are. Simple, base, boxy. This is a throwaway insert, just like those rookie retrospectives. So I'm not like super over the moon about those. They also brought back debut dates. We got Mm -hmm. four of those. We did get a uh, gold version of Sam Bulduk from the Islanders. Yep. So that was kind of cool to get one extra one of those, but the piece, the Resistance, that I really wanted to hammer. We'll get to the population count in a second, but I want to bring up the portraits because yes, every year thank you. portraits are something that is like. A love-hate relationship with most collectors. You either love them or you hate them. Um, the first few years that they did portraits, it was kind of like either a color or a black-and-white photo, just over a traditional like background design that was kind of stylistically similar to like artifacts type things and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then they got into theme type stuff and started doing weird things, like made like a 80s, 90s style Saved by the Bell type setup. They did mm-hmm. uh, sepia photos to kind of Harken back to like when you go to the amusement park and you get your picture taken in the old timey photo booth. This year they decided to take the theme of, I don't know, royalty, I guess, and essentially said we're going to depict players, artistically speaking, in a giant artwork frame and show them as if they were some type of foreign dignitary during the Renaissance. That's the best way I can describe it. And boy, are these something. I think everybody saw the preview photo of the Connor McDavid when it came out, mm-hmm. where it showed him sitting there as a king, holding his oiler scepter. And I will tell you that opening these two boxes, that is exactly what the Connor McDavid looks like, because we pulled it.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, that <laughs> would it be is, the one I'd want. I mean, it
1: is Connor McDavid as the king. And if you listen to any of the interviews that Billy Celio did from Upper Deck, he flat out said, these are what these are going to look like as long as you make Connor McDavid the king. Boy, did they. We got four of these, two in each box. We pulled Mitch Marner.
0: Okay. <laughs> I like the poofy sleeves.
1: Uh, we pulled Maddie Beniers in his puffy shirt.
0: You know, the only thing Veneers needs, he needs a monocle. He really needs a monocle to that seal work. that deal.
1: That would work. And, of course, Kevin Fiala. With the hat that he's holding in his hand, he looks a little more like a marching band director than a foreign dignitary. In that no, that looks,
0: like, that looks like a French military uniform from, like, the French Revolution, like the, the Napoleonic be. Wars. Could be. That's what that looks like to me.
1: So all of these... Here's the thing. I looked at these. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What a gimmick. This is crazy. The Connor McDavid's is a joke. We've talked about it before. I'm like, this is stupid. This is dumb. So I get these and I get them in hand. We get the McDavid's first one we pulled. I'm like, huh, look at that. And then I get the next one and I just busted out laughing. I'm like, this is actually serious. And then we got the two in the other box and I'm just laughing. Each one I pulled, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And I think that's the point. I think I actually got the point of these, so I went from I hate these to I actually like these. I like them a lot, and then I found out they're paintings. Um, they're actually painted. Um, there's an artist that did all of them, and if you look at each one of them, and it's kind of hard to see, and I don't know if you can see it on the thing there mm-hmm. down yeah. in the corner. Artist signature. The nice. artist signatures on all of them. I don't know the name of the artist, but it looks like it's LS, maybe, the initials, or LV. It's hard to tell. So I, I went from hating them to now that I have them in hand, I actually like them because I think they're ironic, and I think they're a joke, and I think that's what they're supposed to be. So the fact that the NHL signed off on having this ridiculousness in a product that's licensed by them gives me some glimmer of hope. (laughs) <laughs> that they're not a bunch of uptight stuffy people The players. These photos. No, the NHL. Oh, cause gotcha. you know what the NHL does? You make a product that they hate. They're not going to sign off on it.
0: Well, no, but the other thing too, is that the players have to approve these things as well. That's why we never get, you know, um, Doug wait hanging out on the beach. Like we did, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah.
1: So I think those were cool. We got some canvas cards. Uh, I think we got four canvas in each box, which I think is normal. So the canvas or the canvas. I mean they're, How about the young they're kind guns of cool. you got. Uh young guns we pulled the six out of each, so they didn't change that configuration. There were six in each box. We did get one young guns uh canvas. Nobody of note. Didn't really pull any young guns, any of the big name young guns out of series one that I would consider big name young ones. Uh, we did get Ridley Green from Ottawa. Mm -hmm. who scored last night against the Penguins. But other than that, didn't pull, like, didn't pull Askarov, didn't get Devin Levi, those type of guys out of there. Also, did not get one single acetate card that wasn't a clear cut. And I'm pointing in the direction of what's been all of the talk this week. And that's the population count cards. Didn't get one.
0: Okay, so just to just to give a little uh background here. So the population count cards, they show a card and it looks like it is in a graded slab. So they're clear, right? Most of them are clear like a graded slab.
1: They're on the PETG
0: okay. plastic. So on the plastic. And so you have population count 1500 100 50, 25, 10, and one. So if it's a population count, 500, there's only 500 of them. If it's a population count, 10, there's only 10 of them and so forth. And if there's a population count one, there's two of them.
1: Or three or five. We don't know. We don't know. Because they keep popping up. And it doesn't appear to be the same one that keeps popping up either. So what's going on here? So the question became, are there really what they say there are? So we've been asked the question directly, if we know, to which we were all like, we assumed that it was supposed to be exactly what it said. If there's a thousand, there's a thousand of them. If there's fifty, there's fifty of them. So if there's one, there should be one of them. And then it some of the wording was changed on some of the sites that post checklists, and they now say uh, there's a thousand copies of each card. But some of the original posts that have the odds on them still show that they were numbered to the number on the card. The box, which I'm holding currently in my hand with the odds on the back, specifically says that population count 1,000, parentheses, 1,000 copies, 500, parentheses, 500 copies, so on and so forth, all the way down to one. Parentheses, one copy. So according to this upper deck, they are saying that, yes, that is in fact how this works. The thousands are a thousand, the 500s are 500, so on and so forth, all the way down to one. So if that's the case, why then are there multiple players with a pop one out there? And also, are there others in the 10, 25, 50 range that are more? Like, are there 150s? Are there 40, 25s?
0: That would be hard to figure out unless you had, like, you know, more than 100 of the 100s. or. You would
1: population. have to have every single person come forward that has one of these and say, here's mine. Okay, here's mine. Okay, here's mine. And we would have to go down the board and compare them all. But it's kind of bothersome. With all the trouble and everything that has been popping up with TOPS having the same issue of multiple one-of-ones being printed, that now it seems like Upper Deck has potentially multiple one-of-ones being printed.
0: Right. And TOPS is actually offering to buy back. Was it the, the finest one-of-ones? or I forget what it is because I'm not a baseball card collector, but I remember them being some hubbub about that there a couple these, weeks those... back.
1: Gold chrome super fractors or something.
0: That was it, right? And so they they uh, they're saying, okay, we accidentally printed two of each and not one of each, so we'll buy back one of them. So now people are like, they're happy if they get it because they can maybe just sell it right away to tops. You know, I mean, I guess I don't know. Look, accidents happen.
1: You're right, mistakes do happen. When you're printing in this big of a quantity and you have other checks and balances to try to prevent that from happening, occasionally something slips through. And if that's the case here, well then that's the case here. I don't know nor have I actually heard public statement come from upper deck that says, "Hey, here's the deal. Yes, there's a thousand of each. So one has a thousand, five has a thousand, 20 has a thousand, whatever." Or yeah, it should be what it's printed on the box. It should only be one. This was a screw up. We think that there's only 10 out there, or we think that there might have been 20 out there. Just something to own up to it. All I've heard and all I've seen people post when they reached out to customer services thank you for letting us know. We are looking into it. So if anybody out there has this issue or has been tracking this issue or has found out about it, by all means share because we've read what we've read. And we know what we know. Beyond that, I have no clue. I really don't. And it's troublesome, yes, because then that raises the question, well, how many other one of ones might have been multiple printed? And now that Series 2 is going to come out, come the first of next year, maybe February, maybe January, early, who knows, are these nice gold young guns going to be printed in multiple quantities, especially with Connor Bedard and the frenzy? Wouldn't that be something?
0: Yeah, there'd be a lot of stink about that.
1: Yeah. So I'm not saying, you know, the whole fool me once, fool me twice kind of thing. But if this wasn't just a printing error, what's the end game here? Because I don't know what it is. Somebody smarter than me needs to speak up and and give an answer because I haven't heard one yet.
0: I want to circle back to the Connor Bigard SP1 card real quick. Sure, Because I was tracking that when it was announced. And I wrote about it in the newsletter that I sent last week. And the thing was, was that when the card came out, it was selling for as high as $800. And by come out, I mean, as soon as it got posted to eBay,
2: right. it
0: was selling for $800. Then it kind of seemed to dip down to around 300 Not saying that's where it stayed. It seems to kind of be in that like four to $600 range. But here's the thing. And I haven't looked into this card in almost a week now. As of a week ago, there were already 100 of them that were sold and another 50 that were up for auction. So it's not a rare card. From what I understand, you get one in every other case, which is pretty rare. But if you think about it, that's like one in every 20 boxes. I think a case is 10 boxes. I think I did the math and I said it came out to like once in every 288 packs. Now, don't quote me on that because I have no way of proving this. I've heard people say they've opened two cases, didn't get one. I've heard people say I've opened two cases and they got one in one case, but not in the other one. I've heard people say they've opened two cases and got one in each case. Again, these are just anecdotes. This isn't like a hard fact, but if you have over 100 of the same card on eBay, like available for purchase... It's not that hard to find. I mean, think about what was that tough pull that you got? Was it a Solane card that looked like a 93 Young Guns card? Oh, the
1: retro Young Gun acetate cards.
0: Right. And you never see those pop up on eBay, right? Like, there are cards that you never see pop up.
1: Yeah, I've seen two, no, three times. I've seen it three times total. So I have one and I've seen three others.
0: Right. So that's rare. Okay, having a hundred of the same card is not rare. I'm not saying it's not an in-demand card. It is totally an in-demand card. The thing is, is that I think these numbers are just a little crazy and a little skewed. And I want to know if you're spending $800 on a card, what's your end game? Like, if you really want the card, that's fine. I get it. You know, the, if a nice Gretzky rookie floated by at $800, yeah, of course I'd grab it. Figure out how to pay for it later, and I'm not saying a Gretzky rookie is an $800 card. It's more. I guess it depends on condition and all other things. But like, you know, if you're spending $800, are you just like, I need to have this card and money's no object, or are you panic buying because you see it, or are you thinking you're gonna slab it and resell it at like a premium? So I don't know. We always say wait and see. Sometimes wait and see backfires, but really this doesn't seem like. It's going to backfire because, look, SP1, we don't know what the print run of it is. I mean, is it going to be in retail? Maybe, maybe not. Is it going to be in TINs? Maybe, maybe not. Is it going to be on EPAC? Yeah, probably, because EPAC tends to follow hobby. So we remember how rare we thought some inserts were, you know, like another example. Eh, Well, maybe not as good of an example, but like the Detroit Pistons card from 8990 Hoops. That was like one in every other box. So that's not necessarily, that's not the same as one in every other case. But just the sheer amount of cases that are being broken, we're getting a lot of this card.
1: And I agree. And, you know, if I just do a search right now, as we were talking, and I put in Series 1, Connor Berdard, SB1, there's 131 completed sold auctions on eBay right now. 131 and it's 131 instances of that very card cuz I just flipped through to see if there was anything that wasn't that card. No, that's that card. How many of that's overlap? I don't know. But it's been sold that many times on here. How many of those are paid for? I don't know. But if you look at the last 10, 20 of these, yeah, it's pretty much settling between 4 and 500 bucks depending on when the auction sold. The vast majority of them are between 4 and 450 right now. Right now. now. You get closer to the end of the year, I could see this coming down another 200 bucks easily, because as we get closer to the young gun coming out, everybody's going to forget about this one. And you're right. The point that you made is exactly right. There's a big difference between something that's short printed and something that's rare. They do not mean the same thing just because it's short printed does not mean it's rare short print simply means it's printed in a lower quantity than the rest of the stuff in the set. That does not mean it's rare. <laughs> there's a distinction, and I'm glad you made that, because clearly, clearly, this card can be had. They're out there. Whether 131 sales, whether 100 of those are actual individual cards, whether it's 50, whether there's still 50 more that still have to be unearthed, whether there's 1,000 more that still have to be unearthed, in the grand scheme of things, it's not necessarily rare. And yeah, I think people need to make that, that distinction. There's a lot of things in this hobby definition wise in terms that I think people misuse. That is one of them saying an SP is, is a rare card. Cause it's not, it's not what that means.
0: Yeah. But a lot of that is because a lot of the people who are controlling what we call these things are the people who are selling them. And when you have a lot of breakers Or a lot of people like buying to sell, you know, the flippers, the hobby bros, whatever. Oh, super short print. It's rare. It's a Well, it's not a super short print. Like you and I, we're more realistic and a lot of people aren't. They're like, oh, it's rare. It's rare. It's rare. You know, oh, you know. And it's like, well, it's hard to get, but it's not impossible to get.
1: And see the trend here, though, with for a lot of people and especially on social media, and I'm only using that to gauge because that's where, you know, Right, the quote-unquote pulse of the hobby can be found. Somebody listening to us saying this, you guys are mad because you didn't pull the card. You're poo-pooing the card and saying that it's not this and not that. No, that's not what we're doing here. What we're doing is trying to get you to understand that just because somebody that's trying to make the top dollar puts 20 asterisks and exclamation points and fire emojis and says it's an SSSSSP rare, does not mean that that's what it is. It's short print, yes. We agree that it is short printed. Are there a hundred copies, are there 200 copies? I don't know, but it's short printed nonetheless. But it is not rare. And that's the thing that people have to understand, that it's not the same thing. So we're not being negative. We're actually being factual. And if you think that facts are negative, then you've got a problem. (laughs) I got nothing for you, if that's what you think.
0: Yeah, I mean, my strategy has always been let the hype die down a bit and then make a measured, reasonable purchase. You know, like if if it goes down to $200 and I go, okay, that's something I'm comfortable paying. But do I really want it? Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Maybe I trade for it. Maybe there's enough of them out there now where people kind of lose interest. The price on that goes down. You know, I mean... I look at, like, Bedard's Team Canada cards, and there are some that I want to have because now I'm kind of passively collecting his cards because he plays in Chicago, he's a generational player, and yeah, I'm kind of buying into the hype a little bit. I mean, I like collecting. Collecting is fun, and just because something is challenging doesn't mean that it's going to dissuade me, and so... I look at that and I say, well, maybe I'll wait and see. And, you know, maybe some of the Team Canada cards might come down in price a little bit. And I'll start grabbing some of those parallel versions, right? Or or not, right? I mean, everybody has their threshold. There's some players you break the bank for. There's some that you don't. But, you know, as we've always said, collect what you like and you'll never be disappointed, right? And if you're just buying it because you think you're going to flip it, well, that's on you. I mean, it's an investment. It's a risk. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I think it definitely takes the fun out of it when you are always thinking about how much can I sell this for later on.
1: Well, that's exactly it. You got to do your own research, just like in anything. Do your own research. Figure out what it is that you're looking to do. And then do it. If you want to pay $400 and try to flip it for $600, by all means, do it. Mm -hmm. If you're a collector, you got to make your own decisions. But honestly, the long game, the collector's game is the long game. If you're gonna collector, you're going to be a collector. And whether it's today, tomorrow, six months from now, or two years from now, that card will be out there. Somebody will be trying to sell it. And chances are it's going to be less. So if you can wait that long to obtain it, great. If not, grab one. There's plenty out there because it's super rare. I mean, SP. I mean, SSS SP. I mean,
0: not rare. It's out there. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of Series 1 printed this year, so I'm not too worried. And Series 2, probably doubly so. All right, I think we should wrap this up because this has been a long but excellent episode. Any last thoughts?
1: Be nice to one another and yourselves. I like it. Isn't that what Jerry Springer used to say? After he totally advocated people throwing chairs at each other?
0: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) You know.
1: No, I've just been, I've dealt with the Hobby Positivity Brigade coming after various people this past week on social media, and it's just cracked me up. But anyway, we're not bad guys. We're just realistic.
0: Yeah, someone's got to tell you the truth sometimes, even if it hurts. Right. Even if you can't handle it, we're here to tell you that. Yes. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to this show. Please follow us on social media. And until next time, collect what you like.
1: For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.